This morning, we're going to be looking in a book of the Bible that I rarely see preached out of. Um, maybe, that's, maybe that's for a reason, so maybe I'm going to make a fool of myself here, but um, no, I won't, because all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching and for reproof and for training and in righteousness. And so um, I'm really excited to, to preach out of the book of, of Lamentations today. Um, so if you turn with me in your Bibles uh, to Lamentations chapter 1. Now, um, a quick history on this book of the Bible. Um, it's, it's pretty much agreed upon at this point that this book of Lamentations was written by the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah. And a little bit of a uh, little bit of background on what's going on here. So um, Jeremiah is observing the city of Jerusalem after it's been devastated by an attack. It's been um, its people have been taken into exile, into slavery. The city is empty. It's desolate, and he's sitting back, looking at this empty city that once was thriving, full of people, the city of God. And he's writing down his observations here. So let's, um, let's look at Lamentations, and I'm going to read through all 11 verses here. How lonely sits the city that was full of people. How like a widow has she become. She who was great among the nations, she who was a princess among the provinces, has become a slave. She weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she has none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with, with her. They have become her enemies. Judah has gone into exile because of affliction. And hard servitude. She dwells now among the nations, but finds no resting place. Her pursuers have all overtaken her in the midst of her distress. The roads to Zion mourn, for none come to the festival. All her gates are desolate. Her priests groan, her virgins have been afflicted, and she herself suffers bitterly. Her foes have become the head of her enemies prosper because the Lord has afflicted her for the multitude of her transgressions. Her children have gone away, captives before the foe. From the daughter of Zion, all her majesty has departed. Her princes have become like deer that find no pasture. They fled without strength before the pursuer. Jerusalem remembers in the days of her affliction and wandering all the precious things that were hers from the days of old. When her people fell into the hand of the foe and there was none to help her, her foes gloated over her. They mocked at her downfall. Jerusalem sinned grievously, therefore she became filthy. All who honored her despise her, for they have seen her nakedness. She herself groans and turns her face away. Her uncleanness was in her skirts, she took no thought of her future. Therefore, her fall is terrible. She has no comforter. O Lord, behold my affliction, for the enemy has triumphed. 
The enemy has stretched out his hands over all her precious things, for she has seen the nations enter her sanctuary, those whom you forbade to enter your congregation. All her people groan as they search for bread, as they, as they trade their treasures for food to revive their strength. Look, O Lord, and see, for I am despised. Well, God, we just come before you and we thank you for your word. Thank you um, that we can look to it for all truth. We thank you that um, your word is inspired by you, that there is, there is not a word um, that will return void from Scripture. And we just thank you um, for it this morning. And as we look through this passage, I just pray that you would uh, lead hearts by your Holy Spirit into all truth, that you would convict hearts this morning, and that um, you would be with me as I speak. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. So at one time in uh, the country of, of England, there were many, many gospel preaching churches. Um, and now, for the most part, these churches, these church buildings where the gospel was faithfully preached now sit abandoned. Some of them have even been sold and turned into bars that are filled with drunkenness, filthy language, and sin. So I want you to think uh, about a time that maybe you've, uh, you've, you've seen an abandoned building. You've gone into an abandoned building uh, or church that used to be bustling with people and activity, but now it feels desolate and empty. Um, I think about uh, a, lot of, a lot of retail malls that have gone, almost every single business has gone out. You walk in and it's this shell of a place. There's, there's nothing there anymore. Melissa and I enjoy uh, every, every once in a while watching uh, these uh, what are called urban explorers on, on YouTube who... Uh, who go into intentionally go into these abandoned places and film and and while it's 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 kind of cool sometimes they'll go into abandoned water parks and hotels and churches and uh, malls and all kinds of different things prisons and it's very very interesting but the entire time there's this sense of desolation and emptiness and loneliness and eeriness to it. And I can't even imagine how uh, similar those places felt to, to the, the city of Jerusalem. Jeremiah looking upon the city that was once bustling with people, and they're gone. The city's destroyed, and the temple is destroyed. His heart was broken as he looked at this landscape of, a de of the devastated former capital of the city of God. Now, one commentary expressed it in these words. It says, this is one of the darkest chapters in all of Scripture. You can find a few glimmers of hope, but for the most part, this is a picture of sorrows without comfort. And so we can see immediately that Israel's sin led to their sorrow, loneliness, disaster, and suffering. 
But the good news is that we know that God is always available for those who seek him. So, our first point today is that sin brings agony. Um, sin brings agony. And if, you, if you'd like to follow along in your notes, which I do have today for the first time, um, you, you can do that and fill in the blanks there, but I do encourage you to write uh, more notes as we go. Our first, our first point here is that sin brings agony. In chapter 1, it serves us as a reminder that sin, in spite of all of its enticements and allurements and excitement that it has, it also carries with it a weight, a very heavy weight of sorrow, grief, misery, and pain. It's a stark reminder of, of the flip side of the, the common verbiage, eat, drink, and be merry. So first we're going to look at the sorrow of the people. The sorrow of the people. Now there's many different reasons that people can become happy, un- unhappy and sorrowful. Um, and a lot of it has to do with something, something personal that may happen to you. You may lose a loved one. You may go through a, a financial situation. There may be things in your life that just aren't going well and you are feeling sorrowful because of those things. But sometimes they happen for selfish reasons as well. We can be sad because we didn't get what we wanted. But then, even so, other times, like we're seeing in these verses here, sorrow happens because of the personal effects of sin in our lives. Now, verses 1 through 11 here serve us as a, an eyewitness account written by Jeremiah under the direction of the sovereign hand of God. And he's recording this agony and the sorrow of the people of God. Now, in verse 1, the word deserted or desolate comes from a Hebrew verb meaning to be separate and solitary. And it carries the idea of being all alone or it carries the idea of loneliness. Because of this loneliness, Jeremiah and the people of the city break out in a widespread weeping and lamenting and crying. Jeremiah writes about this deep sorrow that Jerusalem is pictured here as, uh, as a weeping widow with tears on her cheeks. Now, this, this picture reminds me of a, a recent time in, in our, our nation's history. In, uh, on September 11th, 2001, one of the, the most grievous attacks against, uh, against the United States where thousands of people were killed. And not only in the city of New York were people weeping, and it was audible in the air. It was all over the world. There had never been such a massive, devastating thing that had happened to our country before. 
people who didn't even know people that were involved were still sorrowful, weeping, scared. It was devastating. And Jerusalem lost her population because of the Babylonian captivity. And at one time, there were 90,000 people living within the walls of Jerusalem. But now the people of Judah, who had gone into exile, left the city, and the city was utterly deserted. So for some of you uh, history buffs, you may know this already, but according to history, on July 18th, um, uh, the year 586 BC, the walls of Jerusalem were breached. And by August 14th of that same year, the city had been looted, ravished, and left desolate. The people were calling on Jehovah God to look at their distress and have mercy. In verse 9, it says, See, O Lord, my affliction. And in verse 11, See, Lord, and look, for I am despised. Jerusalem had also lost her position, according to verse 1. Jerusalem was once great among the nations. And in, in the King James Version, it actually says, once a queen among the provinces. But now, in comparison, Judah was like a slave. That had become like a forced laborer. We also see that Jerusalem had lost her prestige. She had lost her prestige. And when I say she, I am referring to Jerusalem. It says, all her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. All those that were once friendly with Jerusalem were now Jerusalem's enemies. Now, Jerusalem is pictured as weeping, not merely because of the sufferings, but even more because Jerusalem had been betrayed by what the Bible calls her lovers, which many believe that that's a reference to the false gods, the false fertility gods of the Canaanites. So they believed those false gods had abandoned them. And they were betrayed by their friends, Assyria and Babylon, who are now her enemies. And I want to note that it's mentioned four times in chapter 1 that Judah had, or Israel had no comforter. In verses 2, 9, 16, 17, and 21. No comforter. God was their comforter, but Israel had sinned against God. And so he was no longer comforting them. The presence of God is sufficient to negate even the most extreme cases of loneliness. 
And this is a clear indication of how far this nation had wandered away from God. In verse 4, the roads to Zion mourn, for none come to the festival. All her gates are desolate. The roads to Zion mourn. There is a picture of mourning here because no longer is Jerusalem a place of rejoicing and celebration and festivity such as the Passover feast. And the tabernacle had been destroyed. No one was coming to this city because it was desolate, empty, and weeping. We also see that Jerusalem had lost her power. Again, in verse 2, Jerusalem had lost her power. Jerusalem had not counted the cost of apostasy, of turning away from the one true God. It's important for us to remember that sin always brings loss. It will always take you down. Now, sin, sin is something that costs us far more than we could calculate. It takes our, our heart, our mind, our emotions to deep, dark places that we could have never imagined. So next, next we see the human agent of Jerusalem's sorrow. So Jerusalem wasn't just facing sorrow because God felt like doing that. The human agent of Jerusalem's sorrow we see in verses 3 through 5. The human agent used by God to bring this judgment and sorrow was first the nation of Babylon that brought the people into exile. And next it was, it was Israel's own sin. It was her own sin. And at least three times the sin of Israel is acknowledged as a source of her own sorrow. First, in verse 5, it says the multitude of her transgressions. In verse 8, Jerusalem sinned grievously, therefore she became filthy. And in verse 9, her uncleanness was in her skirts. She took no thought of her future. Israel sinned grievously against the true and holy God. But there's also a non-human agent involved in Jerusalem's sorrow. There's a non-human agent of Jerusalem's sorrow. And we see that in verses 5, 12, and 14, and 15. 
So you'll notice that the Lord is the one that raised up Babylon to punish his own people. The Lord is the one that raised them up to punish them. And the Lord often uses human agencies as well as the forces of nature to work out his sovereign purposes. God used Assyria to punish Israel and Babylon to punish Assyria and Judah. Then he used the Medo-Persians to punish Babylon. And God will sometimes use similar things, smaller things, in our everyday individual lives to teach us lessons, to help us to learn to be more like Christ. It could be a spiteful neighbor, a harsh boss, a disloyal friend. Any number of things that God can use to shape us into the image of Christ. To show us that we need to learn from our sin. Now, something that people don't like to hear about very often today is the fierce anger of God. Now, God is love. God is kind. He's gracious. But he's also just. He also punishes sin. And that aspect is very often left out of the gospel message today. And you see that from TV preachers that say, God is love, he loves you, do whatever you want, and he'll still love you no matter what. Don't worry about obeying him, just come as you are. And while I do say amen to come as you are, God will change you. And even some some, uh, smaller preachers, some um, who are trying to to gain a, a large following, leave out a very important aspect of the gospel. Now, Jeremiah here was trying to reach a lost world. And unfortunately, he wasn't very successful. But the message that he gave was God's message. And it was God's message as God had given it to him. He didn't water it down. He didn't change it. He didn't make it sound nice and and sweet. He gave it to people exactly as God gave it to him. And one commentary puts this in very clear perspective. It says, God judged Judah because of her sin, and he will still judge sin today. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. He still punishes sin today. The cause of all of the suffering that Jerusalem went through was the sin of God's people. The cause of all this suffering was the sin of God's people. Jerusalem had lost her little children, her former beauty, Thousands upon thousands of citizens were taken into slavery. But this, this reason, the reason that that happened is highlighted to us in verse 8. Jerusalem 
sinned grievously. Now, this sorrow that had overtaken Jerusalem wasn't an action of a heartless God against an innocent people. Jerusalem brought about her own destruction because of her own sin and rebellion. The concept of sowing and reaping is very commonly misconstrued, unfortunately, but Jerusalem had reaped what she had sown when she turned from God to pursue her own idolatrous ways. The affliction in, view, in the view of the book of Lamentations is the affliction that God sends his people because of their sin. Sometimes God sends this affliction to stabilize our faith. As we see in the book of James, it talks about, you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Could be due to develop our patience. Or any other constructive purpose to make us more like Christ. But the affliction with which Lamentations is concerned was the chastisement for their sin, the punishment for their sin. Now, you know, all, Christians are all perfect, right? <laughs> Someone's going to take that clip and then take it out of context. Um, no, no, we're not. Um, Christians sin all the time. And we all know and have experienced God's hand of chastisement. In fact, it's actually, it's interesting because the absence of chastisement or chastening is an indication that an individual is not really a child of God. In Hebrews 12, verse 8, if you turn with me there. If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. God disciplines and chastens the one that he loves. So we know if that if he has he has brought us to a place of discipline or punishment for sin, it's because he loves us. And if you're not experiencing that, if you if you're free to sin as much as you want and nothing's happening to you, I take a, a good look at, at the condition of your heart. Now, we as, as New Testament Christians are also familiar with the, um, the principle of sowing and reaping as, as were the, the Jews of the Old Testament. God warned about it throughout Scripture. If sin is the seed that you plant, sorrow is the flower that grows. Throughout all of this, we have seen that sin always brings along it, with it a wake of tragedy and sorrow. 
Do not become hardened and bitter because of your sin. And don't attempt to hide it because God sees it. But see your sin as God sees your sin. And be humbled by God's word rather than by his wrath. Because if you're not humbled by God's word, you will be humbled by his wrath. And finally, don't confess the sins of others and and push off uh, the responsibility of your own sins saying, well, she does that way worse than me. And he does this. Well, God, but that's, that's a way worse sin than, than the one in my life. Why don't you punish him? But confess your own sins to a holy, forgiving God. And he is faithful. And he will forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And that is the beauty of his grace. Yes, God is just. God shows his wrath upon sin. But he is also gracious to those who will turn and seek him. If you're here today and you, uh, you are a believer in Christ, and you see that you're, you're being disciplined for your sin, you're going through trials, don't stop. You are loved by God. Just as a loving parent disciplines their child, so does a loving God. But if you're free from, if you're not feeling any guilt, if you're not feeling any conviction, or if you are just now for the first time, I invite you to go before God Confess your sins to him. Jesus was sent to this earth to take on the sin of humanity, to die the death that each one of us deserves. If we turn to him, we put our faith in what he did on the cross. The Bible says that God is faithful. He's faithful and just, and he will cleanse us and forgive us. Jesus' righteousness will now be our righteousness. And it's so, so beautiful. Turn your heart to a gracious God. He's he's calling you to repentance. He's calling each one of us every single day to turn from our sin. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. God, um, we're thankful for your grace. Lord, we know your word says that the wages of sin is death. But we thank you that the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Lord, we thank you that... um, that you would, you would look upon us, us wretched sinners and still 
send Jesus to this earth. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Lord, help us to be convicted of our sin. I just pray that your Holy Spirit would would convict our hearts, would comfort comfort us in times of, of trouble. But Lord, ultimately that you would shape us into the image of Christ each and every day. I thank you for the gift of of sanctification, that we are washed, we are cleansed, but then we continue becoming more like Christ each and every day. And Lord, help us to be comforted also that if we are facing trials, if we are facing sorrow and difficulty, help us to know that that's not an act from a vicious God, but it's an act of love and discipline so that we can see our own sin and turn from it. I pray that we would follow in obedience to you, that we would throw off every sinful thing in our lives and run to you. We thank you for all these things. We thank you for your word. And it's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.